Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Orange Crest Community Church. I'm glad that you're here. And I've had the privilege of walking through this message series with you called Battleground over the past three weeks. This is not my normal routine, coming up here to preach like this, but I've been really grateful for the privilege. It's been a lot of fun doing this with you. And today, we are wrapping up this series. And if you've been with us, you know that we've been looking at the book of Joshua. We're not wrapping up the book of Joshua. In fact, if you spend some time reading through that book, there's, there's, in, there's a treasure trove of things to learn and wisdom to gain from that. But we've just selected a few key ideas here. And then next week, our senior pastor, Josh, he's going to be coming back and he'll be speaking. He'll provide the key perspective that we need moving forward. So today, uh, this series is called Battleground because we've been following a warrior leader, Joshua. And Joshua was given the assignment to launch a military campaign in an ancient land called Canaan. And this was going to be, this was the land that God had picked out. He's designed, this, hey, this is going to be the area where my people are going to subdue and grow and flourish as the people of God. This is, this is what God picked out. And so Joshua had to go in and, and get that ready. And today what we're going to be looking at is what is needed to get a good read on, on your situation. So if, you, if, you're, if you're in battle and you're opposing an enemy, and you're trying to make your strategies, plan things out, you need to read. You need to know what's going on. You need to assess who your enemy is. You need, you need to get a good read on your situation. And this actually applies in daily life to you. This is the connection we're going to make. Whether you're on the battleground or just working through daily life, we need an accurate read on what's in front of us, who we're talking to, the decisions we have to make, the offers that are in front of us. I mean, sometimes you're lacking information. You, don't, you can't see the full picture. Or, or sometimes we, we may, maybe we're getting deceived by someone in a situation. Or maybe there's just a decision to make and I'm not sure which way to go. And, and through navigating through any situation in life, it takes good judgment. It takes discernment. We need, we need to have a good read. And, and not too long ago, I was in a situation where it required some good judgment. And my lack of it was exposed. <laughs> and I, I was in the process of buying a van. I was at the dealership. And I had things really well figured out. Figured out how much I was going to pay. I knew how this bargaining thing worked, I thought. And uh, I was getting ready to I finally get through the, you know, the few hours stretch of, of the bargaining process. And I get to the last step. The last step is talking to the financial guy. And so you go into his office. And he's got really nice pictures of his family behind him while you're talking with him. And he's trying to like, you know, get things figured out on the payment. I already knew what my budget was and all this. And he wanted to sell me this extended coverage warranty protection plan thing. And I was like, no, 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 no. I already know how much I have and, and I, I can't do that. And he, he started to sell me on it though. He's like, hey, now listen, the, the, just so you know, the vehicle you got, it's, it's the model, it's got a lot of electronics in it. That stuff goes bad after a certain amount of time. And uh, hey, listen, you know, someone just came in here last week and they got their, their van door replaced. And listen, you got to be thinking about your kids, the safety of them. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, you're right. You know, I got to be thinking about these things. So I'm, 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 get, I'm getting drawn into this thing. And this is not a character for me, okay? I, I I'm, feel like I'm usually a hard sell, but you know, I finally signed my name. On the dotted line to this thing, it was going to cost me a couple extra hundred dollars a month for the first year to get this thing paid for. I wanted to be, I wanted my kids to be safe. So I, uh, I got home, you know, I was talking to my wife about the van, we're checking all the cool features, and I was like, oh, and then I also bought this warranty, it's going to be a couple extra hundred dollars per month, but you know, what are we having for dinner? How's your day then? And she was like, wait, 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 what? I was like, yeah, I, I got this plan, and you know, the model that we have, it's got a lot of electronics on it. And, you know, we got to be thinking about our kids, okay? And I was trying to sell her the way he was selling me. And then I realized, what am I doing? Okay, hold on. <laughs> Stop for a second. And so we just did a little research and pulled up Google. And we, we looked at the plan that I bought, signed my name to. Come to find out, when you buy plans like that from the dealership, 
they're kind of a middleman. So they usually mark it up anywhere from 100 to 300 percent on those on those things. So I already know I'm paying through the nose, and then I realize the, the particular brand that I got. Sometimes they get around having to cover things for you. And overall, I really, and also I didn't know where the money was going to be coming from every month. I didn't have that planned out yet. So overall, I made a bad call. <laughs> I, I, I didn't have all the information about this plan in the moment. I was getting sold and, and I, I was reading my situation poorly. I made a poor decision. I made a bad call. And none of us like finding out that we've made a bad call. None of us likes getting deceived I mean, I don't know if I was being deceived per se in this situation, but, you know, if you get strung along and then you realize you've been duped, you know, it can burn you up. That's frustrating. And, and this is often the case that we don't always have an accurate read on our situations. And, and if you don't, if that's not in line, then you, then you respond wrong. And, and this is actually, this, we encounter this all the time. This is the flow of life situations. You can follow along on your listening guide if you want, but uh, we, we have to read our situations. This is, this is what happens first. I have a decision to make. I'm talking with somebody, I'm trying to read body language here, I I have an offer, there's an opportunity, there's a possibility. I'm trying to read my situation, gather all the information in front of me. Next, what we do is we respond. So after I've gotten my read, I'm going to respond, I'm going to try to figure out what's the wisest thing for me to do here. And then inevitably, we reap. Whatever whatever results come along from, from our good judgment, we reap the consequence. Sometimes it's good and blessing. Sometimes it's bad, depending on how we've read the situation. And, and this happens all the time. Decisions we need to make. I'm facing a problem and I need to understand what, what are all the factors involved in my problem or there's offers in front of me. We need to accurately read. Uh, and this is actually especially true on the battleground. And so on the battleground, the stakes are very, very high. You need to be aware of what's going on, what's, what's in front of you, what's on the field here. And so let me show you a video clip from a, a war movie called We Were Soldiers. This is a very moving film. It's, it's a little bit intense. We just edited a real short clip of it. And the reason I want to show you this clip is because it's valuable to see the impact of reaping the results of your read. And so as you watch this clip, see if you can follow this, this progression, reading a situation, responding in a certain way, and then, and then reaping. See if you can follow that. Go ahead and show that clip. First platoon, let's move. It's a scout. Let's take him prisoner. Lieutenant. Come on! Come on! You take the radio! I showed you this clip. It's a, it's a little intense. If you've ever seen a war movie, it can really 
uh, be a very accurate portrayal sometimes or, or just a realistic portrayal of what happens. And, and it's very extreme. I mean, this is a situation where the stakes are all the way to the max. And, and but we encounter situations. And, and the lieutenant in this situation, he was reading a situation. He thought he found an enemy scout. They were going to get some information. Turns out this was a decoy that led them into an ambush. So he's, re- he's got a wrong read. Automatically, his response is going to be wrong. And he, re- he, he reaps some results, but his whole team is reaping the results of that bad read. And, and we don't find ourselves in these situations, but we actually we, ha- we come across decisions that have impact maybe for decades. I mean, we can cause ourselves tremendous pain and damage if we get the wrong read. And it doesn't matter how well-intentioned you are. His, you know, the lieutenant, his intentions were good. He wants to defeat the enemy. And it doesn't even matter how courageous you are. If you have the wrong read, you can damage yourself. You can damage the people for, if you're looking at things from the wrong angle. And, and you may have found yourself in this position before, just thinking, you know what? I am so sure that I'm right. I know, I know I'm seeing things for, correctly. In fact, you know, take your phone out right now. You just check. I know that I'm right on this issue. And someone pulls up Google and they're like, you're, you know, you're wrong. <laughs> you know, I don't know if you've ever been in that situation. Oh, man, I was so sure. And I was wrong. Or I don't know if you've ever been in a sharp disagreement with your spouse and, you know, I'm seeing things one way and they see, I just know I'm seeing this correctly. And for some reason, you just, you can't see it the way I see it, okay? And, and then it turns out maybe that was the wrong one again. Or, and if you're in any of these situations, you realize, you know, I don't like hearing the words, I told you so, because I was wrong as it turned out. And, and listen, I'll, I'll go ahead and admit it right now. I'll just say, I don't always have an accurate perspective. You know, sometimes I'm right, but sometimes I'm wrong. Sometimes I'm wrong. Ugh, it's hard to say. I don't like admitting that. And you have, if you have enough of these experiences where you're wrong, man, you might develop, it would be helpful to develop a sort of self-distrust. Because maybe, you know what? Maybe I begin to realize my perspective's not always that accurate. Maybe I just don't always have the right angle on things as much as I really, 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 really want it to be true. And so we need to get a better read. I need to be able to assess my situation, the people that are in front of me, the situations I have to make. But where does this come from? Where do we get the vital information that we need to avoid a disaster? Where do we get the information to, to avoid getting duped? And God desires that, that we develop our judgment. God does want us to get the ability to better read our situations. And so what we're going to do is we're going to walk through a very interesting narrative in the book of Joshua, in the Old Testament of the Bible, it highlights a story that really exposes this dynamic. And so let's jump in uh, into chapter 9. And where we find ourselves here, Joshua and the Israelites, they've just defeated their first two enemy cities. Uh, that would be Jericho and Ai. And uh, Joshua, as a leader, he had every intention of carrying out God's command in Canaan. In fact, word of his success is spreading throughout the region. People are realizing, you know, this this army of Israel, they actually are getting a lot done. This is uh, terrifying, in fact. God, and and the, whatever God that they're serving, they seem to have tremendous favor with him. I mean, they're, they're, they're plowing through this area. It's gaining attention. In fact, if you look at 9 verse 3, it says that when the, uh, when the people of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, now the people of Gibeon, this is a, a city, it's a, a group of people that are very nearby to where the Israelites are at this time. When they hear what Joshua has done, they resorted to deception to save themselves because they're a small town and they're realizing, they're, I don't think there is any way we're going to be able to resist this huge army. You know, there's, they're, they're, they're plowing through this area and so in the interest of self-preservation, they realize our only hope here is artful diplomacy 
deception, whatever you call it. And so what they, they realize, uh, we're, we're going to have to do it this way. They send ambassadors to Joshua. They loaded their donkeys with weathered saddlebags, old patched wineskins. They put on worn out patched sandals and ragged clothes. And then the bread they took with them was dry and moldy. And so all of this is going to be adding up to some evidence that basically is saying, hey, we're not from here. We're really far away. You guys don't need to be worried about us, okay? And so this is, this is all of this old stuff is going to be their, their key evidence to deceive the Israelites. And as it turns out, uh, the people of Gibeon, they were only about somewhere between 18 to maybe 20 miles away from Joshua at this time. That's like from here to Corona. That's like down the hill, okay? It's not that far away. And so it says when, when they arrived at the camp of Israel at Gilgal, they told Joshua and the men of Israel, we have come from a distant land to ask you to make a peace treaty with us. And the Israelites, they, they replied to these Hivites, how do we know that you don't live nearby? This is a good question to ask. And they start off a little bit suspicious. They're, the stakes are big here. So how do we know that you don't live nearby? For if you do, we cannot make a treaty with you. And so they start out, they're, they're taking their time. Hey, they want to get a good read. They want to accurately assess the situation. Because if this group of Gibeonites, if they fell within the, in the region that God had already picked out, which they did, then Israel can't make a peace treaty with them. They're, they're on the list as, as an enemy city. They're basically blocking the way for God's people to settle in that region. So, you know, they asked, you know, how do we know you don't live far away? And they replied, we are your servants. Which means they didn't reply at all. They didn't answer the question. They were like, eh, I'll just dodge that one. In fact, I, I kind of bet when they were like kind of walking over here on the camels or whatever, they're thinking, how are we going to answer that question? They're for sure going to ask us that. How, do, how are we going to get around this thing? I mean, they're, they're trying to sort this out. But Joshua, he's not satisfied. So he asks us again, hey, but who are you? Joshua demanded. Where do you come from? So they answered again, your servants have come from a very distant country. We have heard of the might of the Lord your God and all he did in Egypt. So our elders and all our people, they instructed us, take supplies for a very long journey, go meet with the people of Israel and tell them, we are your servants, please make a treaty with us. So they're laying on the deception pretty thick here. They're, they're keeping up this ruse and now they're going to break out their secret weapon, all their old stuff. I mean, this, they're, they're, they're evidence of, you know, we've traveled from a long way, but basically it boils down, the crux of this deception plan is on moldy bread, basically. This is how they're going to make this thing work out. And they're thinking, hey, if the Israelites don't buy this, you know, our sandals and our clothes and our bread and all this, if they don't buy this, we've got nothing left. In fact, they may even kill us right now if they find out we're deceiving them this way. So they're probably sweating. Keep your voice steady. Let's just answer this question and say, this bread was hot from the ovens when we left our homes, but now as you can see, it is dry and moldy. These wineskins were new when we filled them, but now they are old and split open, and our clothing and sandals are worn out from our very long journey. Well, the Gibeonites... They must have played their part rather admirably because at this point, there's no more questions. If Joshua had any scruples, if he had any doubts or suspicions, he asks no more questions. So, and it says, so the Israelites, they examine their food. You know, and it appears just the way they said. I mean, it really genuinely does look moldy, okay? And what, and what happens next, after they examine the food, what happens next is really the whole point of this message. It's amazing to see the way that this history plays out because there are decades there's generations that are impacted by what happens next. But up through this point, what's incredible is that this whole thing actually seems starting to seem rather reasonable. I mean, Joshua is putting the pieces together. He's examining the evidence. And, and I have to admit, I mean, if I'm being totally honest, if I was in Joshua's shoes and I was looking at the evidence he was looking at, 
talking to my guys, talking to my leaders, trying to figure this out. Let's make a good decision here. I, I might have said, look, these people, they want peace, okay? You know, we're on a military campaign right now, but we're not bloodthirsty mercenaries. I mean, at the end of this thing, we want peace too. And, and if these guys are so far off the map, why don't we just make peace with them? It's probably better for us in the long run anyway. He's trying to, okay, let's put this together. Let's make a wise decision. So Joshua, he's reading the situation. He's assessing, doing the best he can to factor in everything. And now he's about to respond in, in some way that, that makes the wisest, best sense. And at the end of it, he surely will reap whatever results come. So the Israelites examined their food, but they did not consult the Lord. No, no, what, what do you mean? You, you didn't consult the Lord? I mean, this, this is part of the movie where, where the record scratches, the music stops, and you're thinking, how is it possible that you skipped that step? I mean, I know you're doing the best to read the situation, but Joshua, you are flying blind by not consulting the Lord. This is the most thing. You know, Joshua, let's reason this out. And I'm thinking, as I, when I get to this part of the story, I think, you know what? I wish... I've never done this myself. <laughs> I wish I could say I've never done what Joshua did here. I mean, sometimes I can't honestly say, hey, I have a decision to, uh, to make or I have a problem that I'm start trying to sort through. And, and, and I want to say I've been praying about it, but maybe really what it boils down to is I've just been thinking a lot about it. Or, or maybe I've been thinking about praying about it, <laughs> but maybe I never actually started praying about it. And, and I'm sure that Joshua was thinking a lot about this decision. I mean, he's responsible for tens of thousands of people here. And, and this massive oversight, it says nothing about his intentions. He was very well-intentioned. In fact, you know, it's clear that his desire is to follow God wholeheartedly. But way back when Joshua was commissioned as leader of Israel, you know, when Moses was still alive and he's handing this thing off, he's getting Joshua ready, the way, the way that God set this thing up, whenever Israel was going to need direction, it was Joshua's responsibility to consult the priests who would consult God and then the whole nation of Israel would know what to do. And you realize God was very committed to giving the direction needed for them to move forward. And, and despite our best intentions and my best judgment, I, I, I'm trying to pave the way forward. Sometimes we forget that God truly does give the direction that we need to, to navigate the big and the small parts of life. So in verse 15, this is what happens. Then Joshua made a peace treaty. He's like, no, don't do, don't do that. He made a peace treaty with them and guaranteed their safety. And the leaders of the community ratified their agreement with a binding oath. And so Joshua is totally deceived here, totally off track. He makes the treaty. He seals it all up. Of course, his read was wrong. I mean, we can see that. We're reading the story from, from like a bird's eye view. Of course, we can see it's wrong. But his read is wrong. That automatically means his response is wrong. And even with his best judgment... And listen, I, I, have, I feel confident that Joshua's judgment was probably pretty good. He's had a lot of experience by this time. He's had a lot of success in walking with God. His judgment's probably pretty good. But even his best judgment is not enough for an accurate read in this situation. And, and so it doesn't actually take all that long before the, the cover of the Gibeonites is blown. And within just a couple days, I, we don't know exactly how, but word reaches Joshua's ears, hey, these guys are just next door. And so, you know, Joshua and his team, they hop on the 91, they drive into Corona, and they realize these Gibeonites, they're saying, hey, we're neighbors. Hey, no, it's not cool. It's too late. It's, it's over. You've already signed the thing. You can imagine. How disturbing must this be as the leader who made this bad call or, or as the group that came to this consensus? I mean, they're thinking, oh, my goodness. And, and actually, they, the leaders replied, since we have sworn an oath in the presence of the Lord, the God of Israel, we cannot touch them. 
I mean, this is what we must do. We must let them live, for divine anger would come upon us if we broke our oath. Now, it's possible, since the Gibeonites were using deception and they were lying, maybe the oath could have been broken or, or they could have gotten away around this, but, but actually, you just see that the value of keeping their word was so high that, that their desire to keep the they, they they were bound to this agreement, to this binding oath, and so they were stuck. So it says, let them live. So they made them woodcutters and water carriers for the entire community as the Israelite leaders directed. And, and what, we, what you see is Joshua's hands are tied. God gave him the original assignment to go through this land and subdue it, and his hands are tied on following through. And now the whole community is reaping the results of that bad read. What they resort to is just consigning the Gibeonites to the lowest societal status possible. They figure that's the best that they can do in the situation. But if you have ever been deceived by someone, I would imagine you can relate to Joshua in this situation. None of us likes to be deceived. None of us like to be tricked or duped or realize, hey, I made a bad call. And, and what Joshua learned is that even when I'm using my best judgment, it's not enough. He learned that my natural point of view is inadequate. My natural point of view is totally inadequate. And in fact, my vision is limited. My, I can sabotage myself. If, I, if I'm relying only on my point of view, if I rely only on my native perspective, you know, listen, I ought to be suspicious of myself. Maybe I don't put so much stock in myself. I think myself, self is suspect. I can't trust me. I got to think, I got to factor in more things here. In fact, I need an accurate read. I somehow have to figure out how to grow in discernment. I somehow have to figure out how do I get better judgment? How do we do that? How do we develop that? Much later in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, he spoke to the Colossians and he said, we are asking God, he said, we're praying for you. We're asking God that you may see things as it were from his point of view, by being given spiritual insight and understanding. We want you to see things from his point of view. Wow! Could you imagine? How would our ability to read and respond be improved if we were looking at things from God's angle on things? I mean, the situations that we face, or the people we're trying to talk to, or the stats, or I have an offer, or an opportunity, or, or a problem, or, or when my emotions are super tense and I'm trying to figure out what to do here. This would be a totally new perspective for us. To see, to see from God's angle on things, that's, that's not native to us. In fact, my native point of view is inadequate. And what Joshua needed, and what we are constantly in need of, is to keep communication lines open with God. We absolutely need to keep communication open with God. This means there needs to be a regular flow of communication so that, so that I'm hearing God, so I, I understand what he's saying. What is his perspective? What is his angle on things? Just a steady flow washing over my mind so that my perspective is being altered and changed. Not, not the way that I normally think, but the way that he thinks, the way that he sees on things. And so there, there's a few different ways that we can do this. There's a few different ways we can keep these communication lines open. One is to pray for direction. Obviously, this was the step that Joshua overlooked. But listen, I, I'm no better than Joshua. I, I overlooked this. This is an easy one for us to overlook. Um, but what's, what's different between he, Joshua and I is he needed to go through a priest to get direction from God, but we actually can go directly to God and to pray and in, in direction from him, communicate with him. And the great thing, you know, we need to keep communication lines open. The great thing is that God's got great reception anywhere you go. You don't ever have to worry about dropping a call. So that's one way to keep communication lines open with God. Another one is to clear the static. Clear the static. Whenever you need to make a decision, especially if it involves some kind of binding agreement or a financial commitment or some sort of contract, there's usually a lot of emotions wrapped up in that. 
Maybe there's something that you're really, really, really wanting. Is that, you know, it's that timeshare or it's that, it's that financial commitment or the car or maybe it's just I'm having to make a decision about where to live or I'm going to obligate a whole bunch of my money or my future or this debt. And, and there's a lot of emotions wrapped up in those kind of situations. And usually these emotions create a lot of static in the lines. It makes it a lot more difficult for me to get an accurate read out of the situation and hear from God. So sometimes we need to let the emotions settle. And, and, and sometimes waiting three days to make any kind of binding decision is a very helpful practice. In fact, that's something that's kind of a guiding principle that we've used in our family. And just imagine, if Joshua would have waited three days to make that binding oath, he for sure would have found, they, they found out in a couple of days. He would have known. He, he totally could have gone around that disaster. Or my rash decision to buy that automotive policy, that was made in the moment. <laughs> and that's what happens. Sometimes you're, you're in a situation and you hear, hey, if you walk out of these doors right now, this offer is going to be gone forever. And you think, well, maybe it will just have to be gone forever because I need a few days to, to think this through, let, let the static clear. And, and anytime we're told to act now, especially in, in uh, sales pitches, usually it ends up being a statement of trust for us. You know, if I act right now, that means I'm trusting that salesperson more than I'm trusting God to, to come through for me or to, to make it clear to me. And so this is one way to keep communication lines open. Another one is to get wise advice. Sometimes the words of a wise person are God's words to us. Sometimes God speaking through a wise person is him talking to us. God is constantly using his people to speak his words to us. And, and this is another one of those that you think about, but it, it's a step that we frequently overlook. You know, I just think, you know, I, I have an accurate read. I'm good. I, no, I don't want to ask for help. No, I got it. I got to figure it out. I mean, and in fact, I don't, even, I don't want to humble myself. I don't want to take the time to ask for input. But getting wise advice... It's kind of like bumping up to 4G LTE, all right? You, you start speeding things up. It speeds up your ability to get an accurate read on your situation. And then number four, here's, here's one more. This is the way we can keep communication lines open. Maintain a regular quiet time. Far and away, this is the most important way to keep communication open with God. In fact, why don't you, you can circle this one if you want. Draw squiggling lines around it. Draw arrows to it. Make this thing stand out on the page because if we're talking about... Managing all the complex decisions in life and, and the opportunities, everything that comes along. And there's a lot that we have to do every day, week to week. Relationships we're trying to manage and handle. There's a lot to walking wisely. If we're talking about that, we need a steady, frequent consumption of God's truth to see things from his perspective. We need a steady, frequent consumption of God's truth to see things from his perspective. In, in quiet time, it's been called different things at different times. And, you know, I'm not talking about, hey, quiet time, hey, shh, quiet. No, it says quiet time is, is, is they got a bunch of different names. That, you know, sometimes it's called daily devotions or one-on-one or -on -one time with God or the divine appointment, whatever, whatever it is. Most often, quiet time involves Bible reading and prayer. And, and it can be done in a variety of ways, time frames, times of the day, lengths of time, uh, different locations. But quiet time... This is actually a pretty good definition for it. Not, not a comprehensive one, but a practical definition that could be a help to you. Quiet time is daily time that I set aside to hear from God. Quiet time is just daily time I set aside to hear from God. In fact, you can use this definition to kind of judge yourself, judge your quiet time. Is my quiet time, is my time with the Lord doing what it's supposed to? Am I actually hearing from God daily? Is this happening? And this, this hearing from God, it comes in a variety of different ways. Sometimes... I'm reading the Bible and I get convicted and, and I realize, you know what? Oh my gosh, yesterday I was way out of line being harsh with my kids. Or, or I, I was 
I was resisting it and really going against my authority or my boss or my leader and I had this attitude and, or I just get convicted in some way and this is God speaking to us. Another, another way that God communicates to us is just giving direction. I'm trying to sort through a problem or I'm trying to figure out which way to go. You know, should we move down here or, or should, I, should I make this financial commitment? I, I'm, and I read something or I hear from God and I realize this is the way I need to go. This is what's going to be most honoring. Or, or we hear from God, just we become aware of something totally new, something off the radar. I wasn't even thinking about it, but I read this in the Bible and then all of a sudden, this comes into play and, and it, it moves me forward. Or sometimes hearing from God is just getting the courage I need for the day. And I, you know, I, I spend time with Him and I realize I didn't even know I was this stressed out about what I have to do today. But spending time with God gives me the perspective I need to, to, to launch forward and get this thing done. And what's amazing is that Spending time with God daily, and particularly reading his Bible, everything that you need for life is found in there. Everything you need. It's not that every specific situation that you come across in your life is listed in the Bible, but actually everything you need to get an accurate read and respond wisely is found in the Bible. Everything you need. It's, you know, sometimes it takes some work, it takes some digging, some effort on our part, a little, little bit of discipline, but usually the most valuable things in life are that way. But what's amazing is God hasn't left us with just scattered fragments of direction and advice. It, it's, it's completely comprehensive. The Bible is 100% what we need. And, and one interesting dynamic that we face, especially here in this country, in the, in the United States, is that the church here tends to be a little bit teacher or, or preacher dependent. You know, people kind of, you know, it's all right. You just kind of follow somebody who spe- speaks in a certain style or does things in a certain way. And we tend to think, you know, if I'm not growing, I don't feel like I'm really growing or I'm really connecting all that great. It must be a problem with this church. Or maybe, yeah, I just probably need to get a new teacher. Someone that's really going to like preach the word or give me some meat to sink my teeth into. But as it turns out, and, and this, is so, this is so important, as it turns out, a daily quiet time is a much bigger factor in our growth than a weekly sermon. And our daily quiet time with God hearing from him is a much bigger factor in our growth than a, than a Sunday morning sermon. And so, in fact, a, a consistent, frequent habit of hearing from God will allow us to gain his new, better perspective on life. And, I mean, I can't trust myself. I mean, this week, uh, I, would ima- I don't know for sure, but I would imagine that this week you're, you're going to encounter some situations that demand an accurate read. You're going to encounter some things. I mean, maybe it's just m- my child is throwing fits constantly in the grocery store or at home or when I'm trying to hang out with people and impress them people. They're throwing fits. I don't know. What to, I don't know why they're doing this. I don't know how to respond. I can't read what's going on. What's going on in them? What's going on in me? I, I don't know. I don't have a read. Or, or if I see something one way and my spouse sees something another way and we are just gridlocked. And while we're gridlocked, you can feel the closeness of our relationship deteriorating by the day. And I don't know what's going on. There's something I'm not seeing. I don't... I feel like I'm right, but there must be something I'm not seeing. I don't have an accurate read here. Or if I'm at work and, and my boss or my coworkers they're just grinding me down. I'm getting frustrated. And I'm going to respond. I'm finally going to respond. These are all the situations we need. We so desperately need God's angle. We need his point of view to read our situations accurately. And, and I don't want to be deceived. I don't want to deceive myself. I can't trust me. Self is suspect. I've I got to figure out. I, I need a perspective outside of myself. I don't, I don't want to be operating from faulty perspectives and reap the bad results of a bad response. So, so look again what Paul said in Colossians. He says, We are asking God that you may see things, as it were, from his point of view, by being given spiritual insight and understanding. But listen, I'll be the first to admit 
this thing of, of daily communicating with God, keeping those communication lines open, it can be a challenge. It's hard. It, it's, it's hard. You know, of course, it takes time out of your schedule and a commitment and some focus, but it, it's, it's a hard thing to do. In fact, I, sometimes I hear people say, I, I honestly don't know where to start. I don't know how to daily quiet time. In fact, it just sounds kind of funny. It's a funny term. I don't know what to do. Or, or I want to read the Bible, but I don't really know where to start. Usually I just open up to the back and I just find a keyword that makes sense to my situation. I read a few verses, but then it eventually kind of phases out and then I, I don't really know what I'm doing. Or, or sometimes I hear, I, I know how to have a quiet time. I know how to spend time with God, but I have totally gotten out of the habit. I can't find the time. I mean, I was consistent, but, but now I'm, I'm off track. And it's really easy. It's easy for us, for these communication lines with God to break down or, or to shut down or to get rusty or for there to develop static and distraction in them. And so take the steps. Take the steps needed to keep communication lines open with God. In fact, one thing you could do, one next step you might think about is, is pick up a booklet that we have. We have a much on the back table. It's called Seven Minutes with God. This is just a really, really short, brief overview. Here's how you get started. If you don't know what it's like to spend time with God, this will get you started. Another thing you could do is to ask for quiet time coaching. And, and coaching on, on quiet time, this is going to be helpful whether you're brand new, you, you've never really had the habit before, uh, or if you've done it for a long time and you just need a tune-up, you, you need a fresh look at it. One of the most helpful questions that I've asked, I don't know how I came across this, but I've asked this question to a lot of people and it's been so helpful, is I, you know, a mentor or a leader, someone over me, and I just ask, hey, when you do your quiet time, what does that look like? You know, when, when you spend time with God, what, what do you do? Do you, you, go on, you sit on the couch? You go to Starbucks? Is it in the morning? Is it night? What, you know, what's, how long is it? What do you, where do you read? What is it like? And this question has been very, very helpful for, to me over the years. In fact, if you're needing to uh, figure out how to get this thing rolling, a, any of our staff members would be happy to help. Just give some coaching on this area. And, and because this message is not, it's not a how-to. It's not a how-to message on how to have a quiet time. Because it's really going to take some initiative to figure out how to get that going. And it can be overwhelming. In fact, in the fall, we're going to be launching a training program that really helps nail down some of the basics of uh, spending time with God like this. Or one th- third thing that you might consider doing is commit to having a regular quiet time a certain number of days per week. Uh, you know, if, if, you don't have, if you don't spend time with God at all, maybe you think, I'll just do two or, or three times a week. Or, or if you're kind of hit and miss, maybe you think... I'm going to commit to five times a week. And over time, what you experience is when we have regular, open communication with God, there is such a safety in walking in His counsel. There is such a goodness to having those lines open. You know, sometimes God uh, directs us. Sometimes He redirects us. He guides us around these areas that we face. And and it really takes hearing His voice. Um, And even more, when communication lines are open with God... There's such a joy. There's such a goodness. There's, like, there's a freshness and a, and a vitality in life that we experience. It's so good to walk with Him. Because and, 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 it's not just about avoiding the traps. It's not just about you know, getting around the danger. Or, man, you're glad I made the good decision on that tough call. There, there's so much more to it. There, there's a relationship. Because it's really not... It's, spending time with God, it's not a homework assignment. There's a relationship with, with our Creator, with our Maker, that is good. That's so good. When, when we're communicating with Him daily, there's a blessing in walking in step with Him. God wants that. God desires that we walk with Him and that we guide by His direction. So take the steps needed to keep communication lines open. Let's pray together. Lord God, I thank You so much that Your desire is to relate with us. You don't just set rules and then walk away. You actually desire to walk, that we walk with You daily. 
that we relate to, that, that we bring our situations to you, our problems, our directions, or you know, opportunities. Would you help us, Lord, to, to keep in step with you? Really, Lord, we need your perspective. My native perspective is inadequate, but yours, Lord, you have the point of view that, that's true to reality, that's accurate. Would you help us to, to transform our minds by spending time in your word? That we that we that we don't we we're moving away from our native perspective. We move towards the way that you see things. And Lord, would you? I, I thank you for your commitment to do that. For your, the way that you give us the direction that we need. Would you help us uh, take the steps needed to, to to be disciplined enough to have the motivation needed to spend time with you daily, Lord? Thank you for your help and your love for us. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen.